This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome everyone. Today's topic is the power of a Jewish woman, of Jewish women in general. And we are talking about something today which is really going to boost our spirits. It just came in time. And that is Parshat Bishalach, which is the crossing of the sea. Now we know it's, uh, it's the Reed Sea. It's a misprint in the English. It's uh, skipped out on the E. It's called, it became the Red Sea, but it's the Reed Sea. I'm means the Reed Sea, Sea of Reeds. And here we are after all the ten plagues, last week's parasha. And the Jews are really in a hard bind. Exactly when we find ourselves today, we're in a hard bind. And we are at the edge of this Reed Sea, the Red Sea. And the Egyptians are chasing after us. We see this dust cloud. The Egyptian chariots is exactly seven days after the Jews had left Egypt. And we're really stuck. We are stuck. The Egyptians are behind us. The sea is in front of us. It's death on either side. What should we do? The Egyptians are shooting their arrows. And they're shooting their, what the Tugubarans call, blistraot, which is a massive stone scatterbolts. And we are caught over there. What are we going to do? And Moshe Rabbeinu says, you know, he cries out to God. It's an amazing uh, situation over here. Moshe Rabbeinu cries out to God, and God tells him the amazing answer. He says, Lama Why are you crying out to me? What should I do? Tell the Jews to travel. Journey into the sea. Travel into the sea. And you lift up your staff and put your hand over the sea. And the waters will split. And the Jews will walk through the dry land inside that sea. Can you imagine? This is amazing. This is an amazing idea going on over here that we really have to take heart. We've been through all the troubles in history. And suddenly, however, we survived. The seas of history split for us. And the seas of history will split again for us. There's Radishen until the end of time. There's Radishen. We'll be here. So we have to take heart over here, but we have to understand a few things over here. Before I go into the power of the woman, we have to understand why does God tell Moses, why are you crying out to me? Uh, who else is there to cry out to? Who else do we pray to? So I just want to go through some of these commentaries, amazing commentaries among the rabbis. And uh, what do you mean? <laughs> why are you crying out to me? Hashem tells Moshe, he says, now when Israel is in distress, now is not the time for lengthy prayer. Words, don't make it a lengthy prayer. Pray fast and act fast. It's a time to pray and there's a time to act. Right now it's a time to act and a time to pray. So when Israel is in distress, it's no time for a lengthy prayer. That's what it means. Alternately, why do you cry out as if the plight of Israel is your responsibility? So God says, why are you crying out? To me, is a responsibility. Don't worry, I've had, I've had this, this whole thing is under control. I am in charge, Hashem says. Don't cry out. It's not your responsibility, Moshe, to pray. It's my responsibility now to redeem the Jewish people, to save the Jewish people. And therefore, you should instruct them to move ahead. I will look after them. Rashi comments, Hashem is replying to Moshe, don't cry out, Moshe, that's not your job. I and my job is to protect the Jewish people. So Forno says an amazing idea. He says, after the leaders castigated him for taking them out of Egypt, Moshe cried out. because he, he said, Hashem, I'm scared. They're, they're short of faith. 
and they're not going to obey me when I told them to advance into the sea. To this, God says, don't misjudge the people. All you have to do is give the command to run into the sea and they will follow. Or Rechaim brilliant. Rechaim ben Attar, famous Kabbalist, Moroccan rabbi who moved to Israel and lived only two years before he was killed by an Arab over here in Israel many years ago. But in the meantime, he wrote his commentary on the Torah, which we're going to discuss now. He's, he asked the major question. Isn't prayer the proper response when people are faced with danger? Why are Israel and Moshe commanded not to pray at such a time? He explains that God exercises his attribute of mercy only when the victims have a minimum degree of merit. If the, mir- if the victims have no degree of merit, Hashem, there's no point praying, he says. At the sea, however, he says, the attribute of justice argued that the Jews were on the same level of the Egyptians. The Egyptians were idol worshippers and the Jews were idol worshippers. There was no modicum of merit for the Jewish people. And therefore, prayer did not take effect. And that's why God says, you have to give the merit, Moshe. And the merit is when they jump into the sea and they have faith in me, that merit of the faith in me jumping into the sea and risking their lives in the sea because of my faith in me, that will give them the merit to escape and to be saved from the sea. So that is that is a very important idea. Sometimes when we act, we are acquiring merit by acting when there's no hope and we have trust in God, then we're gaining merit and Hashem says, now I will save you. Now prayers can be effective. Anyway, I want to move on. And we know, the, we know the story. This is an amazing story. It really, we have to think about it. Imagine what's happening. It's good to see the movie of the story because then you see the power of God. You see how the sea splits. You see the Jews going into dry land, which is amazing. Uh, yeah. You know, the New York Times always comes out every year about this uh, time with its uh, scientific uh, theories of why the sea could split. But the question is not why could the sea could split. There's two questions. How come the sea split? And the earth underneath was not muddy. That's the problem. And that, there's no, there's no answer. There's no real answer to that. The sea can split. Maybe there's a massive wind, power of the wind. But how can you dry out the land in, in two seconds and make the dry land for the Jews to walk through? That is amazing. And that's what happened. And that's what the powerful, we have to see and, and think about, visualize this miracle, how the water of a sea can split. I mean, if you look at the Red Sea, see pictures of the Red Sea, you see videos of the Red Sea, you see how massive it's massive. The Red Sea is massive. It's not like a, 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 a 200 feet across. It's miles across. It's miles and miles across. And it's split. And the Egyptians got drowned in the sea and the Jews were saved. The Egyptians' chariots got sunk into the mud. They couldn't move. And they got drowned when the sea came back in force. And the Jewish people got saved. It's amazing. We have to, it's a visual experience. It's a visual experience that boosts a person's faith in God. We have to really visualize this and think about it. And how do we know this happened? Because the Jewish people sang songs. They sang a song to God, a beautiful song, a song to God, which we sing every single day in our prayers. And we have to mention this. And it's, it, the, the miracle of the sea was 50 times as much as the plagues. The, the, we say in the Haggadah, different opinions. How many times are the plagues? We know the plagues, it says, the Egyptians said the plague was a, f- a finger of God. And at the sea, we saw the hand of God. 
and the hand is five times as many fingers as one finger. So there's many more miracles in the sea than there was in dry land. We have to understand that, visualize that, and think about the power of Hashem. So the Jewish people, all together, they sing with Moshe Rabbeinu. They sing together a song, a song of praise of God for saving them. This was their last encounter with the Egyptians for the next 500 years till after King David and King Solomon marries the daughter of Pharaoh. Don't ask me why he married the daughter of Pharaoh, but he was marrying everyone's daughter. He was making peace treaties with every single country in the world. And that's the way they did in those days. They sealed the peace treaty by marrying the king's daughter off to the other king. That's how they sealed it. And that's what King Solomon, he thought he was going to change the world by changing these king's daughters, making them Jewish belief. And unfortunately, his plan did not work. And instead of uh, persuading them of his beliefs, they started persuading him of their beliefs. Obviously, it didn't work, but they corrupted the Jewish people. His wife's corrupted. Anyway, let's move on. So for 500 years, we never had any encounters with Egyptians after that. Why? Because Egypt was destroyed. Egypt was not heard of for another 500 years. It was a world power, but after the crossing of the sea, it was not world power anymore. 500 years, they were weak. And this is borne out by Egyptian history. That time period, you find there's a big gap in Egyptian history. Anyway, so let's move on. The Jews sing this song. And when all the men finish singing, what happens is, now we don't know this, what the chronology over here is, but straight after that it says, a beautiful line, Vatikach Miriam Haneviyah. And Miriam the prophetess took Achot Aharon, the sister of Aaron of Aaron. She took her tof, which is a little drum, and her hand, and she went out with all the women behind her with their drums, and they started dancing. Vatan Lehem Miriam, and Miriam told them, Shiru Hashem, sing to God. His might is tremendous. He drowned the horse and the rider into the sea. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the power of these women. Um, who was Miriam? Miriam was the sister of Moses and Aaron. She was an older sister. And she's called the sister of Aaron. She's not called sister of Moses over here. We have to discuss this. What's going on over here? So let's uh, start discussing this amazing, the power of the Jewish women. The Talmud says in Sota. Now this is amazing, this Talmud, beautiful Talmud. Sota 11b teaches in the merit of righteous women of that generation. The Jewish people were saved from Egypt. Imagine, in the merit of those righteous women, we were saved from Egypt. Not the righteous men. From the righteous women, we were saved from Egypt. In addition to maintaining the spiritual vigor of the nation. During the trying years of oppression, the women had greater faith than the men of oppression. The men, women had tremendous faith that there would be an eventual redemption. The men never had this faith. The women had the faith that we are going to be redeemed, an eventual redemption. And the men were not. They were too busy working. They never listened to Moses, it says, because they were too busy working. They had tremendous burdens on them. And they could hardly breathe even. This is why the Mechilta teaches the song of the women were accompanied by drums. The song of the men was not accompanied by drums. Where were the men's drums? You know, the small drums, the little drums you beat with your hand. Those are the drums we're talking about. How come the women had drums and the men never had drums? So the Mechilta, which is the Midrash, says, 
because the women were prepared for miracles. The women came ready equipped. They came equipped with their drums because they knew there's going to be miracles. They knew they're going to be singing. They knew there's going to be miracles. They had faith in God. Their tremendous faith they're going to be redeemed. Whereas the men were not prepared for miracles. They didn't believe there's going to be miracles. They never brought their drums with them. So that's why the Michalta says, the song of the women, but not of the men, were accompanied by drums. They knew that Hashem is going to make miracles, that they were prepared the drums for use in singing God's praises. Can you imagine? They came with their drums. Can you imagine? You're coming out of Egypt. You're bringing all your possessions with you. The last thing you want to think about is bring a little drum. The women knew how to bring drums. Why? Because they knew they are going to sing because they had faith in God's redemption powers. The Shalah HaKadosh finds an allusion to the superior role of the women in verse 21. Let's hear this. She says, Batan lahem Miriam. And Miriam told them, it's in masculine tense. In Hebrew, there's a difference between them in masculine tense, which is lahem with a mem, and lahem with a nun. She speaks to them in the masculine tense because they were better than men over here. The women showed their prowess. They had faith. Their faith was greater. In the merit of these women, we came out of Egypt. These women, the righteous women of Israel, kept us alive in this exile in many ways, in their faith, and also the fact they kept on having children in the troubles and the despair, and they could have given up, and they kept on even decrees, throw the babies into the sea. We're going to talk about Miriam's role, how she saved Moshe Rabbeinu, how she saved the generation. So this is amazing. They're singing a song accompanied by drum beats and accompanied by dances and cholot, with, with drums and with dances. They were singing this song with drums and dances. And we have to talk about this. It's amazing, the power of the Jewish women. Now, let's talk a bit about Miriam. Now, it's the first time the Torah mentions her name. It's also the first time the Torah tells us she was a prophetess. So let's discuss that. We know there were at least seven Jewish prophetesses in history. But the truth is, there were many millions of more uh, Jewish prophetesses. How do we know? Because it says that everyone at the sea, all the women at the sea prophesied. They saw a revelation. They had revelation. Same, same thing applies at Mount Sinai. All the people were prophets at Mount Sinai. Because they all had revelation. You cannot see God unless you're in a state of revelation. Unless you're in a state of meditation, of prophetic state. You cannot see God. You cannot hear God. God does not speak with a physical uh, mouth. God does not have a physical shape. You can't see or hear God, but you can have revelation. You can see visions in a state of prophecy. You have to understand, all these women at the dead, at the sea, the crossing of the sea had revelation. All the men at the sea had revelation. How do we know? Because they were able to say with certainty, this is my God. They could point to God and say, this is my God. And I will beautify God. And the Talmud says, how do you beautify God? You beautify God by doing beautiful mitzvot. By making your mitzvot beautiful. When you light Shabbat candles, you get a nice candle stand. And you get beautiful candles. The best candles are olive oil if you can. And with the wicks, that's the best candle to light for Shabbat. That's a Hindu mitzvah. You do a mitzvah of etrog, lulav, you buy the best, beautiful etrog, beautiful et lulav. The mitzvah a Jew should do should be done with beauty. And we're going to talk more about this. 
But that's a very important idea. They had revelation. People don't realize we were all prophets at the sea, at the crossing of the sea. And the women knew it's going to come. And the women were prepared. They were all prophets before that. They prophesied us. They knew that it's going to happen. But Miriam was, first time it says Miriam was a prophetess. It tells us her name and it tells us she was a prophetess. The rabbis say there were seven female prophets. Most people don't know this. There were at least seven female prophets, the Talmud says. Number one is Miriam. Miriam was number one. But number one was really Sarah. Sarah, the wife of Abraham Avinu, was a prophetess. How do we know? Because God himself tells Abraham, he says, whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her voice. The voice that comes out from her is the voice of prophecy, Rashi says over there. Sarah in Menu, our mother Sarah, was a prophetess. We have to understand that. Sarah in Menu was a prophetess. And Miriam was a prophetess. How do we know? What did Miriam do? The prophesy, that's why she's called the sister of Miriam. She's called the sister of Aaron. Why is she not called the sister of Moshe? Rabbi say, because she was a prophetess before Moses was born. She's a prophetess when Aaron was around, was three years older than Moshe, but she was a prophetess before Moses was born. That's number one answer, which we're going to discuss and what does she do? What prophecy did she give? It says when Pharaoh made the decree to throw the male children into the, into the river Nile, Amram, her father, Miriam's father, who was the leader of the Jewish people, the rabbis tell us, he was a Levite. They never worked. The Levite were not slaves in Egypt. They were free because they were dedicated to God. And they, they were not burdened by the tasks of the regular Jewish slaves. And her father, Amram, said, if Pharaoh's going to throw the babies into, this, into the river, the male children into the river, I'm going to divorce my wife. There's no point having children. And Miriam comes to him and said, Dad, you, you know what happened when you divorced your wife, your chavid, all the Jews divorced their wives. You know what's going to happen, Dad? Your decree is worse than Pharaoh's decree. Pharaoh made a decree against the male children. You're, you're making a decree against all the children, the males and the females. And because he listened to her advice, he went back to his wife and they had another son called Moses, the Moshe, the Redeemer of Israel. Because without her advice, there would be no Moses. Moses can imagine our great Moses, our lawgiver and our teacher, Moshe Rabbeinu, for 40 years we lived with him in the desert. So Miriam was the prophetess who saved her brother Moses in many different ways and she's the one looked after him at the Nile and she's the one who went to Pharaoh's Pharaoh's daughter and said between the baby I have someone in mind. Okay so she's the one who saved Moshe in many different ways and she's called the prophetess. She's the sister of Aaron. Before the birth of Moses that's what it's telling us and she predicted the birth of this great man of the savior of Israel. So Sarah Miriam Number three was Devorah. Devorah, we talked about, we had a class on Devorah. You can look it up on Torah time. Devorah, the great uh, judge of Israel and the great military leader, but she partnered with the military leader, Barak. Devorah and Barak, they saved the Jews. Hannah, we all know Hannah, the mother of Samuel, the prophet. She was also a prophetess. And we have a prayer, which you say every day at the beginning of Shacharit, Batit Palel, Hannah, Batamar. The beautiful prayer of Hannah after the baby was born, after her son Shmuel Samuel the prophet was born. 
Abigail, who was one of the wives of King David, prophetess, she prophesies that he's going to marry her. And Hulda, the famous prophetess Hulda, at the end of the first temple periods, there's actually a gate which is still existent. Can't imagine a temple gate today which is still existent. And the steps going up to the temple, it's amazing because what happened was the Romans, when they smashed the second temple, they couldn't knock everything down. They just knocked down the big stones, the massive stones at the tops of the walls. And the massive stones at the top of the wall, when they fell down, they hid the lower level stones. There's a big mound of stones around the temple. You couldn't see the temple. Those are just big mound of, of stones. Today, they cleared those stones away. And of course, you have the waiting wall. You have the kotel over there. And on the other side, you have steps going up to the temple. And you can see the gate, the second temple gate, which is blocked off today. The arrows blocked it off. It's called the Hulda Gate, the Gate of Hulda, because that's where she sat outside that gate and she prophesied. She gave prophecies to the Jewish people in the period of Yirmiyahu Hanavi. Jeremiah was the prophet. He was prophesying to the men, and Hulda was the prophetess. She was prophesying to the, to the women and the men who would listen to her at the end of the first temple period. Amazing. Still there today. You can, if you go there, you go to the Temple Mount, you go to the Kotel in the front. On the right side, there's actually a gate. It's like a museum area. That's where you want to go. You want to go through that gate. You're going to pay some money to go, and you'll see over there amazing sights. The, the steps up to the temple are still there. There's mikvahot. There's uh, mikvahs they built going before you go to the temple. And you see over there, right, if you climb those, those steps up to the temple mount, You'll see the Hilda Gate, which is blocked up. It's still today. It's called the Hilda Gate. So Hilda was one of the prophetesses. And after Hilda, we have one more. Who is that? That's the famous Esther. Esther was a prophetess. So uh, you have altogether you have seven prophetesses. And uh, Sarah, Miriam, Devorah, Hannah, Abigail. And Hulda, let's count that. Sarah, Miriam, Deborah, Hannah, Abigail, Hulda, and Esther. Seven prophetesses. Amazing. Baruch Hashem, we have these prophets. So that's the power of the Jewish woman. They kept us alive. They, With their merit, we got out of Egypt. And let's go through some of these commentaries over here. So, number one, it's the first time Miriam has mentioned that she's a prophetess. And there's a big debate over here. We said before, there's an opinion that says she was a prophetess when her brother Aaron was around before Moses was born. She was a, was a long-time prophetess. Other, other commentaries say, no, now she became a prophetess. Now, when she saw the, the Egyptians drowning in the sea, she was a prophetess. It's interesting because it says the men sang the song after all the Jews got out and after all the, the Egyptians were drowned. But it says the women sang the song while the Egyptians were drowning. In other words, the event was not over yet. But the women with their faith knew that the event is over. They sang before the men, even though the Torah, the chronology is the other way around. We know the Rashi tells us there is no chronology in the Torah in, in one parasha, and therefore the chronology could be different. And according to this opinion, the women sang before the men. Wow, that's amazing. They started off the process of thanking Hashem, of praising God. So anyway, so let's move on. She predicts that Moshe Rabbein is going to be born, the savior of the Jews, that she was a prophetess from that time, according to that opinion. All the women at the sea 
were prophetesses. The Talmud says, she said, it says that the woman, the, even the maid at the sea saw more than the prophet Ezekiel. Command from the prophet Ezekiel, one of the greatest prophets we have. Um, the book of Ezekiel, through it, and his uh, amazing prophecies, and he could see the Merkava vision, the amazing Merkava vision. And here, even a maid at the sea could see more than the prophet Ezekiel. You know, we said all the all the women at the sea, all the, all the men at the sea were all prophets. They all had, they could see Hashem. There was a revelation of the sea. They saw this amazing miracle. It opened up their spiritual eyes, and they were in a revelation. They had a trance-like states. They took their drums and mecholot. What's mecholot? So we translate today as dances. And the Kliyakar says mecholot means, comes from the word mechila. They obtained forgiveness for the Jewish people. The women obtained forgiveness from the Jew, for the Jew, whole Jewish people. With their faith, they, they obtained forgiveness for us. It's interesting because there are two lines. There's two lines regarding this song. Each line has 26 words in it. Each line has 26 words in it, which is God's name. Kafav, Yudke, Vavke, Gematria 26. The name of God is 26. Gematria Every both of these lines that it talks about the, the songs of the women only, each line has 26 words in it, which is tremendously significant. That they really saw God, they believed in Hashem, everything came out perfect. There's 26 as the name of God, which is that's uh, you see how the, the greatness of the women they had God in their minds, everything was in a godly form. All right, so now the question is, why did they now sing? Why didn't they sing before? And the answer is, when you're under pressure, when you're scared, you can't sing, it's not time to sing. It's only when you relax can you sing. It's only when this war is going to be over we're going to be singing. Right now we're under pressure. It's traumatized. I spoke. I spoke to someone uh, a few days, few days ago, and I uh, said, you know, we're all traumatized. He says, no, we're post-trauma because the trauma was October seventh. We're post-trauma. All of us, all Jews in Israel, are post-trauma. We're all PTSD. We're all post-trauma. We're still operating. We still have faith. There's rubbishing. Things will get better. One day we'll be singing. Right now is the time to sing. Well, we will be singing again. Just like this event, the Jews were under pressure. They couldn't sing in the sea. They got out of it, and then they sang. They sang this amazing song. Not a song of victory, but a song of praise to God who saved us. And that's what the song we're going to sing. We're going to sing the song of praise. We're going to say, Hallel, a tremendous Hallel, when, when this whole thing is over and things will be better. Be Soon. I want to talk about two other things as well. Let's move on. And the two other things is the greatness of the woman. She's saying Eshet Chayel. Eshet Chayel Friday night. We quote this, uh, uh, this chapter in Mishlei, King Solomon. Mishlei is the last chapter of Mishlei. And Solomon is praising the woman. He's praising this woman of valor. Some people say he was talking about his mother, Bathsheba. And other, time, other people say it's a, prob- it's a parable. It's a parable, it's this praise of the Jewish woman. Her, her price, her value is more than pearls. Her value, the value of the Jewish woman is more than pearls. What does that mean? The value of the Jewish woman is more than pearls? So I saw a beautiful idea this week. I never knew this. How are pearls made in oysters? Do you know how pearls are made in oysters? How do oysters make pearls? And the answer is something extraneous gets into the oyster. It really irritates the oyster, like a piece of small piece of sand gets into the oyster and the oyster is irritated. You know what the oyster does? It coats it. It coats this small thing 
and it keeps on coating it and coating it with more layers and more layers until it develops into a pearl. That's how the oyster makes pearls. When King Solomon says, compares a woman's worth to pearls, he's telling women a very big secret. You know, sometimes there are things that are going to bother you in your life. They're going to irritate you. What do you do when they irritate you? Don't get upset. All you have to do is coat it. Coat it with a beautiful coating of emunah. That was the, the, the greatness of the Jewish woman is she can take all the mishaps in life, all the troubles, irritations in life, and to be a good wife, she's not going to fight with her husband. She's going to coat these things with pearls. She's going to make pearls out of bad things. This is a lesson to all of us. Everything that happens in our lives, irritations, it's hard, you know. We want to get, we want to get upset. A lot of people just get divorced. They can't be bothered. But you know what? Just coat it with love. Coat that irritation with love. Make a pearl out of it. Make something precious out of it. Make, take that irritation. Make something precious out of it. That's what the Jewish people did. We took this tremendously terrible persecution, slavery. When we got out, we, get, we developed this prayer. We developed this song. We made a pearl out of it. We made this beautiful pearl. Just got to read this song. Go back when you're home. Look it up in the prayer book. It's in the Shacharit before Yishtabach. Or it's every Chumash in this week's parasha. Az This week's parasha is called, this Shabbat is called Shabbat Shira. It's the Shabbat of song. Hashem should make it a Shabbat song. For all of us, this should be a Shabbat of song for our generation as well. We'll see the miracles Hashem. in Gaza. We'll get all our hostages back and alive and well. Hashem. No more people will be killed. No more injured. Hashem. Everyone will be saved. The army will be saved. We study Kim in the army. And uh, we really have to appreciate what they're doing for us and the great sacrifice they're going through. Okay, that's a beautiful idea that women are compared, strong, strong men are compared, the Jewish women to, to pearls, amazing things. But you know what? The end of the parasha is another tragedy. And this is exactly what happened October 7th is when you're least expecting it. After all the miracles and the song of the sea and the Jews say, you know what? Everyone's scared of us. Um, and what happens is, unfortunately, Amalek attacks. Amalek, the the grandson of Esav, Esav's grandson from Eliphaz, Amalek. Timna and Eliphaz have this boy called Amalek. And Amalek develops into this nemesis of the Jewish people over, over time. Amalek develops into this uh, backstabber, and it's like the events of October 7th. Imagine, uh, we cross the sea, we're victorious, everyone's scared of us. All of a sudden, this guy comes from nowhere with his, with his tribe. Amalek comes from nowhere and attacks us from behind. He attacks us from behind. Now, it's interesting, because when the rabbis discuss this, discuss Amalek, and in this week's parasha, they give Amalek a title. This is the Midrash on this week's parasha. The rabbis in the Midrash give Amalek a title. Now, if you were to ask me for a title for Amalek, I'd say murderers, scum of the earth, um, the haters of Jews, anti-Semites. And you know what the rabbis say? They call them scoffers. They couldn't find a better term for Amalek. They called them Litzim. And this is the first line of, of Tehilim. Praise is a person who doesn't skip, that doesn't sit in the company of scoffers. The, the Midrash calls Amalek scoffers. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> there's no better name for Amalek. So why is that? You know, it's interesting because there's a book called the Theosaurus. 
Theosaurus, you know, today people don't use theosauruses. You have it in your computer. So you look for other words. You want to, you want to be fancy and develop your English skills or Hebrew skills. You go on the computer, you're writing a word, and you want to look for another word, a nicer word, a nicer, more uh, eloquent way of expressing something. So you look at the theosaurus. Now, if you look at the theosaurus, and you'll find there are words for a Jew. And the words for Jew, now, if you look at the old theosaurus, you bought it, say, you bought it 50 years ago. But 50 years ago, you buy a theosaurus, and you look at the entry Jew. This is a true story. This is Rabbi Victor Millet says this, that he bought once Rogate's uh, Theosaurus 60 years ago. And it said, this is what it said under the title Jew. It said this, number one, deceiver. Number two, cheater. Number three, rogue. Number four, usurer. Number five, selfish. Number seven, number six, avaricious. These are the, these are the things that the Goyim thought about Jews. This is exactly what... So here we are. We're talking about Amalek. What do we address Amalek? Amalek is just a simple litzan. He is a litz. He's a scoffer. Now this, uh, thank God they changed the theosaurus because you want to be proper, you want to be proper. Everything's coming out from underneath the surface. You see the anti-Semitism around the world today coming out. Palestinian anti-Semitism is, is just terrible. It's an Arab anti-Semitism. It's causing the nations of the world to go back to what the old times anti-Semites, anti-Semites are coming out. So they're going back. Now the Torah Theosaurus would say, Jews, what are the, how do you describe a Jew? What's the uh, synonyms for a Jew? Rahmanim, the, the Shulchan Aron says, a Jew is a Rahman, he's a merciful person. Another uh, entry would be a Baishan, a person who's embarrassed if they sin. Number three would be gomle chasadim, people who give kindness to others. So that's our synonyms to the word Jew. Rachmanim, they're merciful. Baishanim, they're embarrassed when they sin. And gomle chasadim, people do acts of kindness. Now this is very important because the Shulchan says when you look for a spouse, you look for these categories. You look for a person with these three categories. If you find even one of them, grab the spouse. You find someone with... Uh, mercy. You find someone who does kindness. You find someone who is uh, embarrassed when they do something wrong. That's a person to grab as a spouse. That's, uh, that's, that's the definition of a witch. That's the definition of a Jew. So now what happened is we came out of Egypt and the song tells us Shimu Amim, Shamu Amim Gazun. All the nations were in a panic. Every nation heard what's happening to Egypt. They heard the ten plagues. In fact, a very famous convert to Judaism. In fact, two very famous converts, the Jews of Cain. Number one was Yitro, father-in-law of Moses. He became a convert. He heard what happened at the sea, and he came running. In fact, the next parasha is by Ishmael Yitro. Yitro heard, and Yitro came. He was one of our famous converts, the father-in-law of Moses, and his descendants were even on the Sanhedrin. Amazing. His descendants of Yitro were amazing people. They were big Sadiqim who got onto the Sanhedrin. Amazing, amazing Amazing. Because of the story by Ishmael Yitro heard. The other, the other convert people don't know about is the wife of Joshua. No other than the wife of Joshua. The wife of Yehoshua. Who did Yehoshua marry? He married the least likely individual. That was Rachav. Rachav the Zona. Rachav the Zona. Okay, let's be nice. Rachav was a Zona. What's a Zona? I'm not going to say the bad word. Rashi says over there, Rachav had an in 
and she would give people mezonot. We said the bracha mezonot. She would sustain people. She had a hotel. Okay, there's different explanations. I'm not going to go into that, but let's take the good explanation. Rachav the zonah was Rachav the innkeeper. She would uh, provide mezonot. And okay, there's different kinds of mezonot. But anyway, she converts to Judaism. Amazing story. She converted to Judaism for her whole family as well. We don't know. She made a deal with Joshua, the two spies. You can look it up. In, in the book of Joshua, we talked about it. You look at the tape of our class of Joshua and the spies, the two spies that went to Jericho and, and they went and stayed in the inn of Rachav, the Zona. And she tells them, we're all scared of you. We're all scared of you. We're terrified. We heard what happened to Egypt. So that's what we say in the song. The nations of the world heard and they were terrified. Well, they were all terrified except for one. And his name was Amalek. Amalek was not terrified. Amalek came to prove that God is not powerful. You can attack God's people and get away with it. And Amalek, even though Joshua again fights with Amalek and he kills a lot of them, they run away and they survive. And they become a thorn in our side till Samuel later on. This King Saul tells King Saul to go and make an army and fight Amalek. So Amalek, if Amalek is dead, unfortunately, spiritual descendants are very much alive. The anti-Semites who hate the Jewish people for no other reason, because they're Jewish. They're the anti-Semites. They're true spiritual descendants of Amalek. So what happens? Amalek is a scoffer. What does Amalek do? Now, Amalek is a chutzpahdik. He was one bold-faced nation. They came, they attacked the Jewish people um, with Aspanim the Gehenam. We know we say every day, Aspanim the, the Gehenam. The people with no shame go to Gehenam, they go to hell. And who is that? That's Amalek. The whole world was boiling in terror. And he comes along and he cools it down. He said, no problem, it's nothing. Don't be scared. You can fight God. You can fight God's nation. And you can survive. You know, it's interesting because we also guilty of Litzanut, of being scoffers. How can we be scoffers when we underestimate the value of a mitzvah? If you underestimate, let me give you a parable. There was a guy, it's a true story, there was a guy, and he, was, he, went to, he went to Pennsylvania, and he bought a piece of land. And he tried to be a farmer, and you know what? It was a bad piece of land he bought. And the farming, you know, had farming skills and he couldn't make a go out of it. So he sells his piece of land very cheap to someone else. And the second person, okay, he's also a farmer, but he takes a good look at his property. What can I do to get the best value out of my property? And he walks around the land and he sees there's a well of water over there, but the cattle, his cattle would not drink water from that well. He looks closer to the well, he sees there's black stuff in the well. And he tries to see what is that black smoke is smelling. And he calls a scientist to come and investigate his well. And they say, you know what? That's not water. That's oil. You're sitting on an oil geezer. <laughs> You're sitting on a gusher. And here this guy, he made tremendous amounts of money because he found out what his land is really worth. You know, sometimes we're sitting on treasures. We don't know the, the worth of the treasures. Sometimes we scoff at our land. Sometimes we scoff at our treasures. Rabbi Yonah says, in Shari Tshuva, he says, sometimes we scoff at the value of our mitzvot. Sometimes we scoff at Shabbat. 
sometimes we scoff at things which are really important. You know, it's interesting because this week's parasha also contains the mitzvah Shabbat. And this is something that God advertises. You know what God says to Moses? He says to Moses, tell the Jewish people, see, I'm going to give you Shabbat. What do you mean, see, I'm going to give you Shabbat? See that it's worthwhile. See it's of the value. But we scoff sometimes. We're also a nation of scoffers. We must never become a nation of scoffers. We must know the true value of things. A scoffer does not know the value of things. He just laughs at everything. Everything is a joke. Everything is a big joke. We have to take things uh, very specially. Okay, so, and we have to understand. We say a bracha, we have to put value into that bracha. We shouldn't scoff at the bracha. When we do a mitzvah, we shouldn't scoff at the mitzvah. When we eat our food and we say blessings, we are sanctifying the food. When we sit around the table, kiddush, we're sanctifying the day of Shabbat, sanctifying time. We shouldn't scoff at it. We shouldn't laugh at it and joke at it and say it's nothing. It's, it's something very special. Our connection to God is something we have to prioritize in our lives and know it's a fundamental part of our lives. Our spiritual side is not something we should scoff at. Our spiritual side is something we should really value, appreciate. Our soul is nothing to be scoffed at. Our Gan Eden is nothing to be scoffed at. You know, the famous story, this is Rasul Salanta. He says this story, he says, he was once a scoffer, right? A scoffer. And he was a big businessman, and he was sitting in the inn one day, and he was getting drunk in the inn, and there was a rabbi over there. I think it was Rabbi Israel Salanta. And the, the man says, yeah, rabbi, what are you doing? You're just wasting your life. You're doing nothing. You're doing mitzvot. You're learning Torah. What are you doing? You're just wasting your life. And the rabbi said to him, he says, do you believe in Allah Abba? Do you believe in the world to come? He said, no, I don't believe in anything. I believe in this world. I don't believe in a world I can't see. So the rabbi said, would you sell me your olam haba? Would you sell me your world to come? I'll pay you. I'll give you a small amount because you don't really believe in it. So anything you get is a profit. So the guy says, okay, I'll sell my olam haba to you. Okay, I'll give you 100 rubles. Yeah, let's draw up a bill of sale. They can draw up a bill of sale. And the, the rabbi is buying this man's olam haba for 100 rubles. And the man signs it and he scoffs. And he laughs. He said, Rabbi, you just made a bad deal. I got 100 rubles for free. There's no such thing as the Lama Ba. And the guy goes home and he starts boasting to his wife. My dear, you don't know, I made a great business deal today. I made 100 rubles out of this rabbi. She said, what do you do? How do you make so much money? He said, I sold my Lama Ba. She said, what? You sold your next world? You're crazy. You sold your next world. I can't live with a man who has no world. I can't live with someone who doesn't have an olam haba. I want to divorce you. You better go and buy your olam haba back. <laughs> so he goes, he runs to the rabbi, and the rabbi says, I'll sell it back to you, but I want you to know it's true value. I'll only sell it to you for a thousand rubles. This way you'll appreciate what you have. And that's something which we have to appreciate. We have to appreciate this, the simple things, the spiritual things that we have. We have to appreciate, number one, we have to appreciate Eretz Yisrael. We have to appreciate this land that we have. Hashem gave us this land. He keeps telling us this is a land flowing with milk and honey. It really is a beautiful land. Amazing what the Israelis did to this land. And they produced things. And the Halutzim. And they picked up the rocks. And they, and they made this barren wilderness into a, a beautiful, lush. Uh, today, uh, it's Tuvish Rabbi. has the beautiful fruits of Israel. Beautiful. I never had such sweet pineapples. I've never had such sweet pomegranates. I've never had such sweet grapes. 
we have the beautiful fruits of Israel, the lush, the, the land flowing with milk and lots of milk, nuba milk and honey, date honey, and lots of goodies over here and the spiritual value of the land. We can't appreciate it. We have to appreciate it. it says there are 10 levels of holiness and the highest level of holiness, obviously, the better big dash. Yushalayim is, is number three in holiness. So we have to realize that we have to appreciate it and we have to know the Palestinians appreciate this land. And if they appreciate the land and they don't even know the value of it, we have to know the value of this land. This land is a very precious. We can't scoff at the land of Israel. Never scoff at the land of Israel. Everyone should come here and, and appreciate what we have. I'm so happy I'm here. Every day I walk in the streets of Yushalayim. I thank God I'm here. I'm, I'm, this is my vision. This is my dream to be in the land of Israel. We'll all be here. We'll see security and safety for the Jews around the world. Israel Hashem, and we'll all sing a song. We'll sing a song of praise to God like no other song. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.